Uh, it really is great to see you all. And um, I don't know if you, how many of you have ever been on a missions trip? A lot of you, yes. Okay, so you know that when you go visit someplace on a missions trip and you connect with the people there, especially around Christ, um, you never forget that country or those people. And honestly, I don't know if you've noticed this phenomenon, but I definitely have. It's like suddenly whenever that country comes up in the news, like you think about, you have a connection to it. In the past, you would have just not even, maybe wouldn't have registered, but now you have a connection. That's kind of how I feel after visiting you all here in Omaha. Like every time Omaha came up in the news, I would be thinking about Brookside. I mean, honestly, I probably watched a little more Nebraska football this year because of you all, you know. Um, <clears throat> so I was with you, you know. There, was, there were some highs and some lows, but uh, I was with you. I don't want to dwell on that too much. I, I actually, l- last time I was here, I probably spent the first five or ten minutes talking about the life-changing experience of seeing Little Red, the mascot, for the first time. Because that just, and I honestly want to talk about that some more, but I'm, I'm disciplining myself not to do that because... Um, that was just incredible. So one thing I've just learned over the years is that when you have Christ in common, you have everything in common. And, and so I have felt connected to Brookside and Omaha since being here. And I love what you all are doing in this community and talking with Steve and Becky and many of you. You're making a huge difference here. And um, I love what this church is doing. And just like Steve said, even more specifically, I love what you all are doing because for the last 12 years, I've, I've, maybe even 15 years, I've been focusing on groups. And so this is a group of people that I probably feel closest to in any church because I'm with you. I lead groups. I'm in two groups right now, one I'm leading, one I'm in. I've, I've worked with hundreds, if not thousands, of group leaders. And so what you're doing day in and day out is very near and dear to my heart. In fact, the church I'm from in Atlanta, North Point, one of the things that we regularly say to our group leaders is, you are the pastors of our church. And that's not just a, a pat on the back and a way to make people feel better. It's just true. The truth is that the, it's, easy for, it's easy for people to attend church, and honestly, it's easy for them to sort of remain anonymous and hide in rows. It's not easy to do that in circles. In circles, you get to know each other. In circles, stuff comes up. In circles... You know, you're doing the work of ministry. And so the real labor and work of ministry is a lot of times happening more in your living rooms and in your kitchens um, than oftentimes happens even in a service on Sunday morning. So thank you for what you're doing. You are making a difference. And one of the things about group leadership I know from leading groups, and as you guys know, is sometimes you wonder, like, is anything really happening here? Like, are people really changing? Because a lot of times the change that God is working on isn't all that obvious, and many times it goes unarticulated. You know, when I think about the group leaders that have changed my life the most, you know, most of them I think back now, and I regret to say this, but, but I haven't really gone back and thanked them and said, hey, here's the difference you made. A lot of the difference they made, they didn't even know they made. And so you guys are making a difference, and you may not feel it, you may not know it, and a lot of times, you know, groups are really cool places where you can see God break through in amazing ways, and there also can be very messy places. In fact, probably the more effective your group is, the more um, transformational your group is, the messier it is. And, and so, because people are messy, lives are messy, and if, if God breaks through and suddenly authenticity comes out in your group, that's a great thing, but oftentimes that's a messy thing. And as Steve mentioned, sometimes in group, we can have that difficult person. And all of us run into difficult people in our lives. Sometimes they get in our groups. 
So I think that what we're going to learn uh, this, this morning, hopefully these are some tools that I've had to develop myself, that I've had to work with leaders on, and I'm hoping that from my learning I can hand off a little bit to you today, and that'll help you. So we're going to spend a whole morning talking about uh, difficult people. So get excited. Okay, so here's, here's what I want you to do. At the top of your outline, the very first thing I want you to do is I want you to think about the difficult person or people in your life, and I just want you to write their initials at the top of the page. It can be one letter, it can be two letters, it could be a couple. If you have one in your group, go ahead and put that person first. If you, don't, if you can't think of anyone in your group, that might be because you're the difficult person in your group, or it may be because there isn't one, but it's okay to have more than one. If it's somebody, if the difficult person is somebody you're related to, maybe married to, just draw an arrow to the person next to you, that, that can work. But have someone in mind, have someone in mind. So I want you to write that someone, you could be raising this person, you could be, ne- you could be living next door to this person, you could be working with this person, they could be in your group. So think of your difficult person. Let me tell you a quick story about a difficult person that I had to deal with. This was a person that wasn't in one of my groups, but was in a group. And there was something that happened in their group that made them very, 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 very upset. And they had tried to deal with it with other members of the staff on the church, and they didn't get the result they wanted. They didn't get what they were looking for. And so they had built up even more anger, even more frustration. And it was kind of like that customer who's, who's had a really bad experience and has asked to see the manager. You know what I mean? Like, usually if you're asking to see the manager, that conversation isn't I just wanted to tell you how awesome this was every, every once in a while, but in church world, if they're asking to see the manager, probably not. So uh, this person had dealt with staff. They, they weren't happy, and I was the boss of the person they weren't happy with, and, and their unhappiness stretched all the way back to something that happened in their group. So by the time they got to me, they were worked up pretty good, and it was instant anger, frustration, download, attack, 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 attack. Now, when, when somebody's hair is on fire like this, uh, typically we have one of two default responses. Some of us are in the, the, the fight category. Some of us are in the flight category, right? The flight folks, when, when somebody's freaking out like this, they sort of shut down. The, the, the fight folks sort of start arming up, right? I'm, I'm in this bucket. So as this person is talking to me, and, and there wasn't even any kind of, you know, space for grace or, hey, you know, it was instant attack. They don't even, they don't really know me that well. And as they're talking, I can feel my internal needle starting to move towards, you know, destroy, destroy, destroy. So, like, you know, they're talking, and, and here's the other thing they didn't know. I actually knew more about the situation than they thought I did, and I had information that they didn't have. So, not only was I getting angry at the way I was treated, I was feeling justified in my anger because I had something to, to bring down on top of their head in a minute. And I was thinking to myself... You think this is bad. I'm arming the torpedoes over here. Wait till you're done. You know, you're going to have a sunburn when you're done. You know, so that's, that's kind of my struggle, my instinct. It's not to shut down. It's to, it's to meet emotion for emotion and even maybe ramp it up. But as this is happening, there was something, as this person is, was losing it, there was something that, that, that was happening inside of me. There, was a, there happened to be a passage I was reading recently near this incident and God kind of brought it to mind and there was I never would have connected this story to the experience 
But, but God was connecting these two dots in the middle of this event. This, com- this wasn't really a conversation. Um, but he was connecting these two dots, and there was something that happened, some, some insight that came together in that that ended up producing a different reaction in me than is my natural reaction. And actually, this little, little teeny perspective change, I have gone back to this probably more often than almost anything I've learned in conflict. And so... I want to share this little insight with you today in hopes that maybe it will serve you as well as it served me. So I really think it's a small perspective change, but I want to share it with you. So if you look down at your outline, it says difficult people are trapped by something. Difficult people are trapped by something. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, when you think about the person whose initials you wrote, typically what you're frustrated by or reacting to is a behavior that that person is doing. It's something they that they're doing that's driving you crazy, annoying, frustrating, angering, whatever it is. But let's face it, behaviors are just surface-level symptoms that are connected to deeper things, right? We all know that intellectually, but it's hard to remember that when people are doing what they're doing that's driving us nuts. But behaviors are connected to deeper things. They're connected to values, which are connected to beliefs that might be wrong values and wrong beliefs. It could be anything from a lack of self-awareness on a person's part because no one's ever really told them about this or developed them in this area. It could be a coping mechanism. You know, sometimes in group you've got that super sarcastic group member that never, you know, is always making that sarcastic joke that just taking the air out of everything. And that's just a coping mechanism that people do sometimes to to not allow intimacy or authenticity. I had one group member that their behavior, their challenging behavior was um, they would information dump on whatever we were talking about. So it was... Whatever the subject was, they had a ton of knowledge, a ton of Bible knowledge, and they would sort of vomit that on the subject all the time. And, and, and it, it drove everyone crazy because it was sort of like every single topic was an opportunity for a lecture. And what was like, what's, what's with the information attack here? And really getting to know this person over time, I realized it's connected to much deeper things. It's like if I go on the offensive with information, then we never have to get personal about how this information applies to me. And that was a terrible fear that's rooted in something much deeper. So the behavior that as a group leader I was frustrated by was connected to a deeper thing. So there's something that traps people that impacts behavior. And feeling trapped causes challenging behavior. Whatever this trapped thing is that's deeper in their soul or their heart, it causes challenging behavior. And trapped things behave in challenging ways. And I want to illustrate this by a video I saw on YouTube that made me think, Uh, a little bit of of a group metaphor in some ways, or a difficult person metaphor. But what you're going to see in this video that we're going to show you here is there's an animal that got trapped in in a hunter's trap that was not intended for it. And so some hunters came along and saw this animal that was trapped by a bear trap, I believe, and they felt bad for it. And it was a wild animal, and they were trying to free it. So their motive was to free this animal, but it's trapped. And it's scared, and it can't communicate, so... It doesn't know what the hunters are trying to do. And you'll see how trapped things can potentially have challenging behavior. So watch this. Freaking me, little dude. Here's me and Aaron. We're trying to let this bobcat go. Keep the secret. I don't know what. We're going to try to... We're going to pin him down here or something. <laughs> Whoa, 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 buddy. We don't need none of that. I'm scared. I can't. I got him. I got him. I got him. I got him right where I want him. Oh, jeez. No, I don't. 
All right. So now, let me connect the dots. Why did this YouTube video make me think of group? Okay, so sometimes, right, that difficult person, right, who's represented here by the Bobcat, even when we're trying to be helpful to them, like we're trying to help you not alienate the rest of the group. We're trying to help you not alienate the rest of the family or your friends. And we want to help you. And sometimes whatever that deeply rooted insecurity or whatever it is that's driving this behavior, that's driving everyone nuts, even when we try to help them, even when we try to free them, the behavior is threatening and and attacking. And so what happens is we can feel stuck and frustrated because usually the person that you wrote down is not someone that's easy for you to avoid. Either you've joined a group with them or they're in your life because you're related to them or that you work with them, or you live next to them. There's somebody, because most of the time when somebody's behavior is consistently challenging and they're not that hard for us to avoid, we just avoid them, right? So if, if they're in our lives, we're kind of stuck with it, and if we can't see improvement, we can feel an increasing level of frustration and angst about the fact that we can't fix that. So if I were to take all of you and I were to sort of bring you up on stage and let you have a, have a little, you know, have a couple minutes to describe to all of us who you wrote down without using names, and you started talking about what it is about them that made them a difficult person in your life, it would probably start to generate some emotion in you because whatever it is that caused you to write them down is something that you're really struggling with. And what happens is we can get in this cycle of frustration where every time we see it, every time we experience it, it just gets worse and worse because we can't seem to figure out a way forward or how do I do anything about it. And so what I want to talk about is what is a way that maybe we can break through and and move forward a little bit? Well, letter B on your outline there, it says difficult people require a special approach. And what I I mean by special is it's somehow threading the needle between that fight and flight response. It's not surrender or attack. It's, It's somehow in the middle. Because surrender in group, when this happens is, like when you have a group member that's really, really difficult and you, and you, you keep praying for them to get a job change and move away, but they don't, and, and you're like, okay, what happens is if they don't destroy the group, everybody on the group just goes, how many more months of this do we have to endure? The leaders are like, I can't fix it. I don't know what to do. I mean, so let's just ride this thing out. We'll all take a break in the summer, and, and thank God we'll never get back together. You know? But, you know, that's, that's sort of the surrender approach. You know, the attack approach is, you know, Larry, I don't know how else to say it. We just want you to all, to sh- we all want you to just shut up. Please shut up. You know what I mean? Like, we don't do that, but you know what I mean? That's the other end of the spectrum is to be overly aggressive. Uh, but how do we get, kind of move forward, and what is this special approach? Well, Jesus modeled a special approach, and that's what I want to talk about. So the, so the great news for you is all you have to do to feel success in this area is be exactly like Jesus. All right? So good news. Uh, Jesus had a unique perspective uh, on difficult people, and he, he encountered some very difficult people. So the account I want to talk about is found uh, in Mark 5 and in Luke 8, and you may have heard of this account summarized. This guy's called the demoniac. And, and there's an area, there's a region um, where Jesus was ministering called the Gerasenes. And in the Gerasenes, there was this town, and this town had an individual who was a huge problem. And this person ends up, we find out later in the account, was demon-possessed. And, but, but what happens is, if you, if, you t- if you combine the accounts in Mark and in Luke, you find out a couple of details about this individual. First of all, he lived in the tombs. So he lived in a graveyard. He was insane. Uh, not only that, but it, he was naked. It says he was a long time without clothes. It also says he was violent. He would cut himself, and he was physically violent with other people because 
It says no one could pass that way. So apparently by this, first of all, you could never visit your ancestors at the tomb. Secondly, apparently there was a shortcut that no one could take because old crazy Joe was going to beat you down if you walked by there. So naked, crazy, and violent. So think of the person whose initials you wrote down. And unless they're all three of those things on a regular basis at the same time, Jesus had a more difficult person than we're dealing with, okay? And that's the good news because this person probably, probably, I would guess, beats our worst group member. At least I hope so, right? So this guy was a problem for this community to solve, you know? And, you know, sometimes you, you read the Bible and there's so much detail that's not in the Bible about these accounts, but you realize these are just regular people like us. So, like, how would we deal with this? Because that's probably how they tried to deal with it. So you imagine the, imagine the community meeting... Where, where it, was, it was time to discuss Crazy Joe. Because you're thinking, the people in the town, like, there's a part of me, I don't know about you, this is kind of dark, but there's a part of me that wonders, why didn't they just, you know, deal with it? You know, I mean, <laughs> like, that's, that's not really healthy to think that way. And the reason, first of all, they didn't have these, it would be more like this, but, like, I think about this probably because he was related to somebody in the town, right? So, you know, we, ha- we have our town hall meeting, and it's like, guys, it's time to talk about Joseph again. He's causing problems, you know, and I, there'd be somebody in there, you know, maybe, maybe a little bit darker than me, but there'd be somebody that'd be like, I, with all apologies to Frank and Margie, there is a solution, you know what I mean? <clears throat> and of course, there'd be someone else, a mercy gifted person that's like, sit down, that's terrible, it's their son, you know, so somehow this guy, this guy... They had tried to deal with him because it says they chained him. And whether it's because the demons gave him supernatural strength or he just was strong, he had broken through the chains. So this guy was a very real problem for this small town. And yet Jesus encounters the same guy and his approach is different. So letter B, Jesus saw people as they were and as they were supposed to be. You see, my default, and maybe your default when we're interacting with difficult people's behaviors, is to see them as problems to solve. Jesus had kind of a double vision. He could see them as they were, but also as they were meant to be, because Jesus designed this man and designed us, and he sees us as he intended us to function and as we're actually functioning at the same time. And so he, where where the town saw a problem, Jesus saw a prisoner. And that's good news for us, too, because <coughs> Jesus restores people from trap to free. All of us, all of us are trapped to some degree, right? We may have gr- better social behaviors in groups and other things, and we may not be the irritating pebble in people's shoe, but, but we're all trapped by our version of demons. Not, maybe not literal demons, but, but we have the things that God is continuing to work on and desires to free us from. So Jesus came to bring freedom, not just not just at the cross, at salvation for eternity, but degrees of freedom, degrees of increasing freedom, growing into the person we're supposed to be. That's part of that whole sanctification, becoming like Christ process. So look at the effect that Jesus has on old crazy Joe here. In Luke 8, uh, 35, it says this, when they, meaning the townspeople, okay, they heard something had happened, and, and, the, and the part we're skipping over is, is where Jesus casts out the demons into the herd of pigs, and they run into the water, and that's um, that, whole, that whole thing. But the people have heard something's changed. 
So they're coming up the hill to see Crazy Joe and Jesus. And it says when they came up to see Jesus, or when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. So, a minute ago he was naked, now he's dressed. A minute ago he was violent, now he's seated. A minute ago he was insane, now he's right-minded. So, what can we learn? Have, have you tried to cast out the demon from that difficult person in your life? No, that's not it. I mean, I've tried with my mother-in-law, that did not go well. But that's not the application, okay? What can we learn? What can we learn? Leading difficult people requires adopting that double vision. Leading difficult people requires adopting that double vision. Seeing others as trapped versus broken increases our empathy and patience. Now, I know this isn't rocket science, but this little idea is super powerful. Let me, prove, let me, let me show you an example and hopefully prove it to you. We feel differently about trapped things. So let's say we're all on a trip. You and I are on a trip hiking in Colorado. We're out on the back country. We're hiking, and we round a bend, and we see this image. We see this, okay? Now, there's a bunch of things that are going to happen, right? Instantly, our brain is going to register threat because this animal in the wild, encountered in the wild, is a threat to us. It can kill us. It can harm us. You know, the instant thought we're going to have is, how quickly can I get away from here to safety? The second thought might be, am I faster than you? Because I don't have to be fast. I just have to be faster than you. Or can I trip you or whatever I need to do? But this animal is a threat. So we are feeling one way about an animal that actually can and does harm human beings periodically. Next photo. All right, same animal. I mean, look at that sad bear, right? Now, what's the difference? One of those things is a threat, and one of those things is trapped. But there's, there's really no difference other than that. I mean, if you were to go in that cage to give that bear a hug because you felt sorry for it, you would find out that it was really the first bear, you know, that, that could harm you. But just seeing those two images of the same animal creates a different feeling in us, right? Things that are trapped produce empathy. It's why those hunters stopped to free that animal from the trap. So this slight perspective change, in my experience, has made all the difference because empathy, it creates empathy, and empathy changes my approach to difficult people. It reduces my emotions, and it's this key little perspective shift. You're not a problem to be solved, you're a prisoner to be freed. You're not a problem to be solved, you're a prisoner to be freed. That little thing is what made all the difference when that person was chewing me out about group. This is the, this is the it wasn't that clear in terms of the bottom line of that, but it was, it was that idea of this person who's really upset and is reacting in an upset way towards you and producing in me an equal reaction there's something driving this that's trapping them and causing them to behave this way. And, and I felt like what was, I was able to do was calm down in the moment, which is unlike me when this is going on, 
and I was able to respond differently because I wasn't responding in my normal way. And, and, and as you can imagine, here's what happened. This person had worked themselves up to do this. You know, they don't know me that well, so they got themselves all energized to kind of come after me. And then they did it. They sort of, and, and, and their posture was the posture of somebody who, you know, threw a punch. They're ready to, like, you know, I threw a punch and now I'm ready. And I, it, and I wanted to do it. You know, halfway through that conversation, I was ready to go there and more. But I was able to kind of calm down. And, and as you've seen, for those of you that are better at this, what you've seen is when somebody goes there and you don't disengage and you don't attack, but you stay engaged and be, because of the grace of God, you're able to respond in a healthier way. It's unexpected to this person. And his response was expecting, a, you know, equal and opposite emotion. But when he didn't get that, it was like, oh, okay, we can actually, oh, I'm sorry, I was, I was at a 10, and I see you're at more of a 4. Let me come down and let's talk at a 4. It just disarmed the whole situation in a, in a very, very different way. So difficult people are ultimately freed by Jesus. The bad behaviors that make people difficult are just symptoms. And remember, heart change belongs to Christ, right? We create environments, your living room, your circle, your your different place. We create environments, but the thing that has to change to ultimately change the behavior, I mean, you can modify behaviors, but ultimately, if you want to change them, it's got to be something deeper, and that's where God has to work. So really, Christ is the solution for all of this, but we can create an environment where Christ can work. I want to give you one second tip as well, uh, and that is to imagine a future state. When responding in the present, imagine the future. When responding in the present, imagine the future. Now, this might sound silly to you. It actually helps me, so I'm going to share it. If you think it's ridiculous, I totally understand. So um, one thing that I do sometimes is when I'm in the midst of a difficult pattern, conversation, relationship, I imagine that person in a future state talking to me about this situation we're, in, we're going through right now. So, like, let's take the person that was, because this actually did happen during this conversation. But So this person is yelling at me, and there's a part of me that's listening, and then there's a part of me that, that went to a future conversation. Five years from now, he calls me up. Hey, can we meet at Starbucks? Sure, we're sitting down at Starbucks. We have our coffee. And he's like, hey, I just want to let you know, um, man, I was a really jerk. I was a really big jerk five years ago, and I, I just want to say I'm sorry, and I'm just so thankful that you responded with such grace. So I'm having this, like, fantasy of an apology during the argument. You know what I mean? <clears throat> and that may sound silly, but, but here's why I go there. Because I look at my own life, and I look at the the version of me five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And, and I'm sure your resumes are a lot better than mine, but before marriage has totally changed me for the better. But before I was married, and even when I was first married, the edges that were on me were so rough. Um, and there's plenty more to work on, but like I think about the people that I affected early on, in, especially in ministry, and I, I have a lot of apologies. And so God's working in me, and I'm hopefully different than I was five years ago and ten years ago, and I'm hopefully even going to be 
you know, one step towards Christ more five years from now. So this for me is like realizing what it does for me is it's like they're not done. God's not done working on them the same way he's not done working on me. And there may come a day where we're both looking back at this incident and it's like that Starbucks coffee has never happened with this individual. But the question I have for myself is how do I need to react in the present to make that phone call possible in the future? You know, how do I need to respond in the present to make that possible in the future? So here's my question for you. What would it look like in your mind for whatever person's initials you wrote on your paper, what would it look like in your mind for them to be seated, clothed, and in their right mind? Like, what would that version, because here's, if we love these people, what we want to see is Christ work on them and for them to gain freedom from whatever that thing is or things are. And so we want a version of them that's seated, clothed, and in their right mind. So God is using us as catalysts for freedom. God is using us as catalysts for freedom. God uses providential relationships to help each person grow. You and I are the providential relationships God is providing in all the circles we're in. Our group circle, our family circle, our work circles. We're providential relationships. And we are one another's path to freedom. We are meant to invite other people to freedom in our groups, in our lives. And, you know, on our good days, we do this well. But really, God works through you and I as much as anything else to invite people to a greater state of freedom in him. So the question for you and me is, will, will they meet Christ in us? Will they meet Christ in our groups? Because let her be there, community creates an environment where people can be invited towards freedom. See, if you think about your groups, that's really what they are. They're gatherings of people that are inviting one another to freedom. So let's take any curriculum you're studying, a financial curriculum, a relationship curriculum. What's, what's happening in your groups ideally is, you guys are covering an idea that God speaks to, and hopefully he's speaking to you and to every, and the individuals in your group, and he's convicting us that, hey, is my life in alignment or not in alignment with God's will for this area of my life? Let's say it's finances, and we're doing a financial curriculum together, and it's like, this is what God has to say about finances. How are my choices lining up with what God's ideal is? And, or maybe it's forgiveness, you know, and it's kind of like we're talking about forgiveness, and then God brings, you know, someone to mind that we need to kind of approach. And it's like, and in your group, they might say, you might say, okay, what's, what's God kind of saying to us? And somebody says, well, I, I haven't really spoken to my sister in five years, and I, and I feel like maybe I'm supposed to reach out. And the group's there to kind of say, yes, we, we agree with that. We encourage you to do that. Can we ask you that, that you've done that? There's some accountability in group. See, if, if, if Steve or Jeff preaches the home run sermon of all time on forgiveness, and I'm sitting in my seat, and I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm feeling so convicted about contacting my sister. I really should contact my sister, you know. And then I get up and leave and go to my car, and somebody says, hey, how was the sermon? I'd be like, oh, it was good, it was good. But 48 hours later, this is just as good a chance that I'm, not, I'm no longer convicted about that as I was absolutely convicted about that sitting in the auditorium, right? In group, right, you have the opportunity to say, no, no, we want to ask you about that. We want you to follow up on that. We think that's a step of obedience. Why? Not for the purpose of, mm, you obeyed, God's happier. 
It's a step of obedience that brings freedom, freedom in that relationship, freedom to see God meet you in that. So our groups are invitations to freedom. We can't force people. We can only invite them. And lots of times people don't accept that invitation yet. Not every invitation towards obedience and freedom we accept, nor will people in our groups, but we still do it. So if true, how can our groups be different, especially for difficult people? Because you know and I know what, the, what happens to difficult people. Let her see. Difficult people are an opportunity, not a problem. The reason they're an opportunity is because for most people, a challenging person is often a lonely person. Because most people walk away from pe- these people. It's like, you're, you're a challenge, and if I could avoid you, I would avoid you, which is probably the history that people have, especially people that, that, that are difficult. Um, so most people walk away, but for Christ, this was an opportunity. And how can our people in our groups, how can the people you wrote down on your paper, how can they be an opportunity, not a problem? So the bottom line, the bottom line to remember, this is the, this is the whole thing. And this is the thing that I will tell you I probably bring up on a fairly regular basis. It's just that internal conversation that says, you're not a problem to be solved, you're a prisoner to be freed. You're not a problem to be solved, you're a prisoner to be freed. So I want you to take a few minutes. Steve, how much, how much time do we have for discussion before the next thing? Okay. This is going to be quick. What? Five minutes? Seven minutes? Can we take? All right. Well, let's, let's take a few minutes at the table because here's what I would love you to do. Um, do you have the questions up there? Go ahead and put them up there. Okay. Here's what I want you to do. It's not, you're not going to have a long time, so, so don't one person monopolize the whole thing. But, but w- I want you to take a minute to sort of internalize this teaching and, and maybe lay it over top an actual person that you're thinking about. And without sharing names or going too much in depth as to why you chose the person you chose, maybe take one of the, these questions and just kind of say, okay, how is it I can begin to shift my perspective and see this person as a prisoner? So let's take the next five minutes to do that. And then Steve will get up and kind of transition us to the next session, okay? So take a look at these questions, go around the table, everyone take about 30 seconds to a minute to sort of say, this is the one thing as I, com- as I take what I just heard and I marry it to the person I'm thinking about, this is the one thing that's coming to my mind. It may not even be anything that was said, but go ahead and share that because I think it'll help embed whatever we're talking about this morning, okay? So just take about five minutes to do that and then we'll go to the next session.